1: Thank you all for your support and listening to the podcast. If you haven't done so yet and you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star review where you listen. And if you enjoy this episode, consider buying me a coffee or checking out the Patreon. Tana Lynn Thomas went missing sometime in 1978, maybe in the summer, somewhere in Alaska or British Columbia. Natana, or Tana for short, and her husband, Mike Stazo, who was stationed in the army in Bremerton, Washington, went to Alaska in 1978 to visit Mike's family. At some point during the visit, Tana told her family that on their way home to Tacoma, Washington, they were going to stop in B.C. and other places along the way to do some sightseeing. Natana, who is indigenous and part of the Ponca tribe of Nebraska, was born on March 14, 1954. She grew up in Central California and also spent time in the Bay Area. She was briefly married to a man named Muhammad Batar before her marriage to Mike. There are not many theories on what may have happened to Natana or Mike, but one of the prevalent theories is that Mike may have not been happy in his military career and decided to go AWOL. There are also darker theories that they may have gone missing due to foul play. To the family's knowledge, neither person was ever reported missing. If you know anything about Natana or Mike's disappearance after listening to this episode, please contact me and I can put you in touch with Tana's cousin, Lori Roper, whom I spoke to for this episode. Like
2: I, like I said, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to try not to get emotional. It's been a really long time, but again, nobody's paid attention to this since uh, I was a freshman in high school and I'm 59 this year, so wow. it's, it's really, um, it's it's, it's just I don't know. It just feels like a really beautiful thing that you're doing. So thank you.
1: Oh, no problem. Well, let's start, uh, let's start at the beginning. And one of the first questions I like to ask people is, you know, what was your cousin? Like, what do you remember about her looks, her background, her ethnicity? Like what would people need to know about her?
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, our family um, is part of the Ponca Tribe of Nebraska, and there are some family members that definitely favor more of the indigenous, dark hair, dark eyed. And she was absolutely that. Um, I think I sent you a picture. I'm happy to forward another one. But she was, she was, um, in my eyes, she was a queen. She was, <laughs> she was my favorite cousin. She was probably about, I want to say five six, five seven, dark long hair, very easy. Smiled, very kind um the family my aunt uh, her brother and sister and uncle lived in a little town that's monterey california adjacent by the name of prunedale and they lived on a ranch and she had a horse and uh she was my like i said she was my favorite cousin she that was her horse and we spent a lot of time out out with the horse and she had a lot of friends she was very very kind and loved animals and loved people and was always very, very easy to jump in and help other people. So, um, yeah.
1: Do you remember the last time you saw your cousin? I know it was quite a while ago, but can you tell me about that?
2: Yep. It was probably 1974. I was 10 in 1974 Um, and that maybe, maybe 10 or 11, but it would have been up at a visit at, at their home up there. Um, And she um, was, I think just getting ready to graduate high school or maybe had graduated high school Um, and had, uh, so it would have been up at their house in, in Prunedale at the ranch. Um, they were, I think getting ready to sell her horse. She had a new boyfriend at the time, the gentleman that she, her, her first husband that she married that unfortunately didn't end very positively. Um, but yeah, it would have been about 1974,
1: 1975. Let's talk about that. Uh, the first husband, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. she had. Well, she had her husband, Mike, who we'll talk about in a little bit because that kind of mm-hmm. surrounds uh, her disappearance a little bit more. But can you tell me about what you remember about her first marriage and how that may have may or may not have played yeah. a factor in her disappearance?
2: For sure, for sure. If I could give you a little background first kind of on her and the and the upbringing, my my aunt was one of the kindest women you'd ever know. Um my uh, uncle by marriage um was not a kind man. And she grew up Tana Tana. Um, her brother Scott and uh, sister Robin grew up in a very difficult household. My uncle was abusive. My aunt was codependent. You know, we didn't know much about codependence back then. We know a lot now, right? But she, Tana, the kids also grew up very much under the thumb of an authoritarian, angry man. And so Tana um, was looking for a way out, I'm sure. Uh, she met this gentleman by the name of Muhammad Matar. If I recall correctly, he was from Lebanon, had a couple brothers that he was working to bring over here. It was, uh, you know, supposedly love, but what what we know, what we knew after the fact that it was a green card marriage and he sort of used that marriage to bring his brothers over. They lived in an apartment. He literally made her sleep on the floor, do the dishes. It was a very subservient, awful situation for her, beat her. Um, So she was able to get out, moved home for a very short time. Uh, That, unfortunately, wasn't a whole lot better because her dad blamed her for being a bad wife. Um, And she moved to Washington State, lived with my aunt for a little while up there in Tacoma, and that is where she met Mike.
1: So she meets her second husband, Mike. She abandons uh, what I would call a, an abusive relationship or marriage. I don't think there's any other mm-hmm. way to describe that. Do you remember? I mean, I know you were very young, or maybe what people have told you as well. Like, do you do you know what mm-hmm. Mike and and her marriage was like? Was I, I imagine it must have been much better than her first?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I did talk to her on the phone. You know, that was the old days when we had landlines and stuff. And and she and my mom were really close as well. My mom was kind of her favorite aunt. So, um, we, we talked a fair amount and got letters periodically. She was very excited. Mike, Mike, she described as very kind. Um, and, um, every interaction we had, I know I, we met him twice and he did seem very doting and kind, um, with her, um, her, my aunt had met his mom and dad. They, they came down. Um, and I think, I believe Mike was actually an only child. Um, and it, it was very positive by, by all accounts. Um, didn't hear anything to the contrary, didn't see any evidence to the contrary. Um, but I think they'd only really been married about a year when they disappeared.
1: And before we get into that, I just wanted to state as well, you mentioned, I think a little while ago, it's important to note that Mike was in the military, I believe the Navy, right? Mm
2: Mm-hmm. he was in
1: the army oh sorry in the army in the army okay yeah so what do we know like i know you kind of sent me you know a brief overview of what we think happened but can you tell me about mike and tana going up to alaska why they were going there and then you know do we have a sense of when they were last seen like when they dropped off the map
2: Yep. So again, what I I can tell you what I know. So they went to go visit his parents in Alaska. Apparently, he he got a, a leave of some sort, and this was in I'm thinking summer of '78. Um, so he got a leave to go visit his parents, and he and Tana were heading up to visit his parents. The last contact anybody had with them was a call from Tana to my aunt um, saying that they were leaving Mike's parents in Alaska, that it was a wonderful visit, and talking about the next time that Tana would see her mom and was anxious to tell her about the visit but that they were going to be you know traveling through BC and Canada on the way home and we're going to be making stops at different places on the way home kind of making a, a little sort of honeymoonish i think honeymoon kind of vacation because they hadn't had the opportunity to do that yet but they were going to be coming back to the Bremerton area and never arrived
1: and that would seemingly be out of character for them to not come back to Bremerton and back to the You know, home.
2: it would. It, it was absolutely out of character for Tana, and to my knowledge, I mean, or you know, based on the conversations that family members had with Mike's parents, it was absolutely uncharacteristic of Mike as well. You know, he was he was uh, you know did what he needed to do, was where he needed to be, um, but. There was conversations that apparently between Tana and her mom, um, my aunt Nadine, that Mike was unhappy in the military, that he was not being treated very well, Um, and then Mike's parents said to my aunt, and then also um, Sarah, my daughter, the person that kind of teed this whole thing up, Sarah had reached out to them via email at one point. And I believe that there were conversations in that email exchange that Mike was struggling a bit in the military. And so his parents were being encouraging, saying, hey, just go back. You know, it's a short commitment. You can get out on, you know, X date. You don't have to re-up. And that, and that was kind of that.
1: And through our correspondence and my correspondence with Sarah, I got the impression that, and I think maybe you did as well, that maybe there's a chance that Mike went AWOL. Like, has that been something that's been discussed amongst the family?
2: You know what? That's, that's the family floating theory. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, nobody wants to believe the worst, right? Um, Nobody wants to believe terrible things happened. They drove off a cliff. They were kidnapped or otherwise injured, you know, the floating theory is, yes, that Mike went AWOL. The interesting thing about that is, you know, again, I don't know about military law. Uh, I was wanting to look into that before you and I chatted. I'm sorry. I didn't have the opportunity to do that. But, you know, I would have thought there would have been some sort of Um, search for him. You know, I know the military is a really big thing, a huge industrial complex, right? So maybe one guy missing and not showing up for a shift might have gotten a little attention. But to my knowledge, this never got investigated, which was always odd to us as the younger cousins. Like Mike's parents didn't notify... uh, the authorities that they were missing, my aunt never noted, notified the authorities or like nobody did a missing persons around this, Tyler, which to me in this day and age is astonishing, you know, but that also lends credence in my mind to some sort of maybe conversations that that we weren't privy to as younger cousins that, that this was something that they were planning to do and we're trying to keep it on the down low, you know?
1: Yeah, I was going to say that really struck me when you sent me the overview that they were never mm-hmm. reported missing, either of them. Uh I was going to ask yeah. this, but I think you kind of answered that the question, but it sounds like then like have you have you or Sarah or anyone else had conversations with other family members about that? Like ask that question like why wasn't anyone ever reported missing and you know, has you know, anyone given no, you an answer?
2: Unfortunately not. My my so her mom, my my aunt passed away oh my gosh, um, 30 years ago of cancer. So it it wasn't too long after, I mean, after Tana passed um, and my aunt had lived a very difficult life and overcame that and got her degree in anthropology after she left my uncle who was, again, horribly abusive. And so, you know, we we didn't want to bring up, I remember as a kid always being very interested but didn't want to bring up, hard things. That was kind of in our family. We were big on elephants in, in the living room that nobody wanted to talk about. That was just kind of the family way of doing things. Uh, we don't do that anymore, but that's how we did it back then. So um my mom story was always AWOL. My aunt that lived up in, in Bremerton always, you know, Oh, we think they went AWOL. Um, but, that no information. And it sounded like, again, based on the brief exchanges that Sarah had with Mike's parents, that that's, that's the story that they're, they're saying, well, that's all that we can think must, must have happened. You know, again, nobody wants to think the worst, but it's just crazy to me that again, nobody reported a missing you know, you know, I mean, again, if they really thought he was missing, you would have thinking you would have thought someone along the way would have reported him missing. Nobody did. So that kind of lends credence to this. But all these years down the road, that was what I want to circle back to. Um I would think there's some sort of statute limitations if somebody goes, AWOL, right, like he, like somebody would have called somewhere along the way. Tana would have reached out to her mom, or or her brother who's still alive, or a cousin, um, or my mom along the way. Heck, my mom just passed last year in October and had the same phone number for 25 years. You know, we would have been easy to find if they would have been out there. Which kind of leads me to believe that there was something other than a wall. Or maybe it started that way and then things just went sideways along the way badly for them, you know?
1: So to to just bring it back to summarize quickly here, it sounds like Tana and Mike go missing somewhere, I'm going to say probably in Alaska or B.C. around 1978, maybe 1979. Mm -hmm. That's fair to say. Okay, so you said in the overview that you sent me in the correspondence we were having that there was actually a Mm -hmm. potential sighting of Tana in 1979 on, I think, near Vancouver Island, Campbell River area. Can you tell yeah. me about that?
2: Yeah. So my mom, so growing up uh, as children, so my my stepdad was a big fisherman. So every summer we used to go for a month up to Campbell River fishing, and we would either stay right there in the area Um, I think Salmon Point was the name of the place that we used to stay. I'm sure all that's changed over time. It's been a really long time ago. Sometimes we'd go back into the islands and stay back there. But mom had said that she, she, like, she's like, I, she she told me this, This is something she told me multiple times. Whenever we find a picture of Tana, and she goes, "Gosh, I wish I would have said something. I wish I would have walked across the store." So my mom said that in the summer of '79, and I, we weren't with them that year. It was just she and my dad that year. But she went um, to one of the local markets, and it sounded like it was somewhere in the Salmon Point area. and I re- recalled them having like a little a little sort of tiny retail store, bait shop sort of thing in there. But she said that she was in the store, looked across the store, and she made hard eye contact with somebody that she sw- she's like, it was Tana. But she said, I was frozen in my tracks, and I turned around to grab um, my stepdad at the time. She said, I turned around to grab dad, and I turned back around, and she was gone. And she said we went, walked up and down the aisles of the store, and I couldn't, you know, we couldn't find her. So if it was her, um, she was gone. So yeah, that was really disconcerting for my mom. My mom beat herself up till the day she died over over that. Um, So that was the last time that anybody, as far as we knew, had, you know, potentially saw her.
1: So what? prompted you and Sarah and some of the other family members to, you know, from what I gather recently go public, uh, you know, about this disappearance and look into it. Like what prompted you?
2: It's, it's always been in the back of my mind and, and, you know, frankly, it's, it's just me. Um, my, my mom passed in October and as we were going through pictures, um, as one does when a parent passes there's always a box and box of pictures we came across a picture of tana and my brother was up with me my brother and i and and sarah and Matt's like, yeah, this is so weird. It's so weird that nobody ever did anything or said anything. So the three of us started talking about it. And Sarah and I both do a fair amount of research and support the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Project um, through our tribe and elsewhere. But um, it's, and Sarah is just a an investigative journalist at heart. <laughs> so, you know, we both, uh, decide, you know, said, gosh, um, is this would be a cool thing to pick back up again because, you know, all of the aunts, so her, you know, her mom, my mom has passed. My uncle has passed. And like, I just don't want this to die out. Um, I don't want her, I won't let her legacy and her memory die. She was just such a good person who was not treated in the manner that she deserved. And, um, if there was some sort of closure that could be had, it would be a beautiful thing, whether it's, you know, finding DNA along the way. that I think that was actually part of the other thing. Um, Sarah had gone into mom's um, GEDmatch account, so we had all done our DNA along the way. The, my daughters and I did it did on an, an Ancestry. My... Aunt, who was my mom's great aunt that lived up there in Bremerton, where Tana lived for a while, had done their ancestry as well. So um, Sarah had gotten that the um, raw DNA information that you could upload to GedMatch, which is I'm sure that you know what GedMatch is, but it's that organization that law enforcement and you know cold case searchers use to cross-match and try to identify DNA hits when law enforcement comes across a bag of bones or they're looking for a murderer or something like that. And so Sarah had gone in there, as she does periodically, just to see if there's any hits on anything, we found another family mystery in there, which is not related to anything around this, but she did say that she hasn't seen anything about um, any pings or anything about Tana or anything like that. But she just pops in there periodically to see if there's been any any updates and to make sure that our information is updated. That way someone can reach out if they did find you know some evidence or something out there. So um, that was kind of how all that came about.
1: I saw on the uh, Facebook post that Sarah did that people um, already were jumping in and you know trying to help out with some genealogical research and things like that. Have you come right. across – yeah, have you or Sarah come across anything that's maybe helped you formulate a theory or any answers or has it been pretty much stuff you already knew?
2: Yeah, we've been kind of stuck at this point. Like I said, there was another little bit of a family mystery that, that we – that we uncovered, which kind of leads to this, so I could, I can share that with you. So it sounds like the aunt that my mom lived with up in Bremerton, who would have been my grandmother's youngest sister, might have actually been my grandmother's daughter. (laughs) So, so another aunt, but, you know, stuff like that was not uncommon back in the, you know, 20s, um, when stuff like that happened. My grandma was born in 1908, and I think my aunt would have born in would have been born in like 1928, which was before any of the other kids. So, um, w- but there was an email address attached to that. So their ancestry, we can't get access to for whatever reason. Everything's locked up really tight in Ancestry.com. Um, so there's there's an email address attached to that in GedMatch that Sarah has emailed, um, I've emailed as well. I don't know if it's still a current email address, but we're we, she and I are both pursuing, trying to figure out which family member that is and to see if we can find out some in, some more information along those lines. Um, but I think from what I know at least about GEDmatch, if they were able to find... Again, some DNA or bones or something like that, and somebody was able to do research on that. There would have been some information on on the GedMatch site um, around that. But again, that being said, whoever this has this email address, it's possible that they would reach out to them as well. So I've been slowly reaching out to all of the cousins, and uh, there's one in particular. He's actually been in the hospital. All all of my cousins are older. We are the youngest cousins. Um, so, a lot of people are at the age where they're passing and becoming really, really ill. But uh, I've reached out to that cousin. He's been kind of the keeper of the of the genealogy of the family for a really long time. So um, hoping to get some more information on that and would certainly update you down the road since I have your contact information if we heard anything.
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue.
1: So one thing I wanted to to ask you that, and, and I apologize, I didn't put this in the questions, but you, you kind of made me think about it as we're talking here. Like, do you think there's a component to Tana being Indigenous and her case not being covered or as present as maybe it should be? So...
2: Yeah. I'm I'm gonna say yes and I'm gonna tell you why. You know, again, I'm not trying to grasp onto a straw that is inappropriate to grasp on either. Um, but the long and short of it is if she was traveling through Canada, which which we know that they were, right? Back at that time in the world, indigenous women or indigenous looking women or indigenous presenting women were absolutely not given the attention that they are being given. Now I'm, I'm a podcast listener in a big way. And I've listened to a fair amount of podcasts about, missing murdered indigenous and the residential schools and stuff up in Canada and how how uh, law enforcement handles that and it and it hasn't been good right and there's a whole reckoning happening in the U.S. as well as up in up in Canada around that but um so Mike was blonde blue-eyed um you know tall um you know, very Anglo presenting and Tana was the complete opposite. And, um, you know, back then, uh, people would say things like, you know, squaw and that was, you know, sometimes meant to be nice, but sometimes meant as a slur and, um, there were a couple times that, that somebody referred to her that way. And, and he's like, that's, that, you know, that, that's not okay. He was like very protective of her, but she presented, you know, she, she looked Indian, no two ways about it. And, um, there, now that you're mentioning it, I remember even a comment that my aunt had made at one time, I guess somebody on base because my uncle was a very high ranking, um, military officer there on the base uh the army base up there but um um a comment made to him made to mike that he'd married a squaw and it was not meant in a good or kind way you know so um i i think it's quite possible given what what she looked like you know and again she was very kind and very sweet and would not have been one really to stand up for herself. Um, She would have just kind of taken crappy treatment because that was what she was used to, sadly, growing up. And, uh, you know, I just have it in the back of my mind that something not great happened, you know?
1: that's a good segue answers answers
2: your question no it does
1: no no that's a great great answer and thank you for speaking to that I think it's important to address Mm -hmm. that and the ending of your answer was actually a great segment into um what I wanted to talk about next and you mentioned you had a really fascinating and interesting experience with a psychic that I think lends to that maybe (laughs) things didn't end so well so can you tell me about that because when you told me the story I was I, I was kind of in shock it's pretty wild
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was super crazy. So I live in the Bay area of California and um, I'm just kind of a seeker of all things interesting. And so I was invited at one point, it wasn't even my idea, I was invited to go to this event at the Berkeley psychic Institute. And, and what this particular event was, was that they were going to have a panel of different kinds of psychics and mediums and channelers that that were going to kind of sit up at the front of the room, and you know, they would reach out to people. It wouldn't be like me holding my hand up and saying, "Hey, you know, I'm Lori. Can you tell me about my cousin?" Right? It was nothing like that. It was, I want to say, four or five people up in the front of the room, and this this would have been nineteen, probably nineteen ninety five ish. Um, so maybe a little bit later than that. But um, sitting up in the front of the room. Um, oh, no, actually, it probably would have been about 2000, 2002. So they're sitting up in front of the room. The, you know, group's coming in at the back. I'm actually sitting in the very, very back in the middle. So not not even easy to see And there was a gal who was identifying herself as a trance channeler. And how she explained that was she would go into a, you know, sort of an altered trance state and just open her mind and ask for anyone to come to her that could be related to someone in the room that had a story to share or something to say. Right. And so, um, there was other people in the room that, you know, grandmas and grandpas were coming forth and oh, you know, is such and so here and other, other mediums and psychics were, were speaking up for them. And it was all very light and kind of sweet. And she speaks up and, and she says, she goes, um, and so p- part of being a trans channeler, too, is she didn't... is She, like, physically adopted a voice and, and a, a physical demeanor. Um, so she kind of became the person, if you can imagine that, right? And so the other ones were speaking in their own voice and just kind of conveying messages back and forth. And what happened with her when she spoke up, like, when she said is Lori here? Like, and I'm going to try really hard to not cry here. I kind of lost my capacity to even breathe at that point. I took a deep breath and she, cause she said it like in Tana's voice. And I was in the back of the room and everybody that was kind of moderating at the front of the room, there was a gal that's like, is there a Lori here? And I stood up and I said, yep, that's me. And this medium says, "Hey cousin," <laughs> and I'm like, "Uh." She said, "Do you know who I am?" And I said, "I do, but can you tell me who you are?" You know, because I didn't want to lead the gal that was doing this, right? And she said, "It's Tana," and um, I did my level best to hold on to my composure. And she said, it's, it's good to see you. And um, she asked me if I'd thought about her. And I said, not a day passes. You know, where are you? Uh, if you're speaking to me, you are probably no longer living, right? What happened? What can you tell us? I would love to be able to share it with the family. And she, the gal that was doing this just kind of physically slumped. And groaned, right? And um, she said it it was bad. Um, mike and I had stopped at a bar, and she didn't say when i I tried to get more information. She said, mike and I had Mike and I stopped at a bar, and we were having something to eat and having a beer. And these couple of guys invited us to, you know, stay at their house because where we stopped, there wasn't a place to stay. And um, they had said that they were uh, military guys too. And so, and I'm paraphrasing here at this point, but Mike trusted that. and it didn't end well. And you know, summoned all my courage because again, you want to know, but you don't want to know, right? And I said, well, what do you mean it didn't end well? And she said they were beheaded and buried in, in the forest. And so shortly thereafter, I mean, it was probably seconds thereafter, the channeler kind of her physicality changes she sat up she stood up she looked at me and she said excuse me and she went kind of she just left the whole proceeding and went in the back and I kind of sat down and the gal that was moderating said wow that was really interesting you know, thank you. I can't even remember this gal's name. I wish that I could. But I sat down and I was just in shock at that point. And um so after I um was getting ready to leave and the moderator came over and she said, The gal wants to talk to you for a minute. And so I met her in the back and she said, "I'm so sorry." I'm, she just kept saying, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry," and she was crying. And 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 I said, "You have nothing to apologize for. Thank you for putting yourself in this position. I can't even imagine, you know, what you feel or what you hear." And she said, "This has never happened to me before." She said, "You know, most things are like you were probably hearing. They were." you know, light. And, you know, I left an insurance policy in a drawer and here's where you can find it. And she said, I've never actually had the experience of that. And she said, I had to get up and go because Tana walked me through what happened to her. So I actually was physically feeling, um, her death. So that she said that, thing that you can take from this is that she is in a better place now that she's not suffering anymore she said but it wasn't good and no one will probably ever find her
1: wow (laughs) so
2: yeah yeah so and I and I've I've carried that with me the whole time so I I mean I came home and I I Called my mom that night. It was like ten thirty at night, which was late for my mom. And I called her and I said, "Mom, I just got to tell you what what happened. It was the craziest thing." And I, you know, walked her through it. And of course, my mom's crying and and um, you know, passed that on to other members of the family. And again, still nothing ever happened with anything. Um, I didn't share that with Mike's family. I never actually had any conversations with Mike's family. I can't remember whether Sarah did, my daughter. Um, I kind of don't think so. I feel like they were probably very conservative people, the way that she explained them, that that I'm not sure that they would have taken positively to this story at all. But again, this was just my experience completely out of left field. Um, so that's, that's sort of my last, visions of her, you know, um, and just had to carry the fact that the channeler said that she was in a better place and no longer suffering. So,
1: so looking back, Mm -hmm. I mean, what, this is hard to unpack because I mean, from your perspective, like, what do you, how much credence do you put into that? Experience with the psychic, yeah. and then you know when you compare that to other theories of you know maybe Mike going a wall. Like, do you think it all blends right. together, or you know what runs through your mind?
2: Yeah. I think it I think it does all blend together. Yes, I think that they were probably looking for some place because I mean if if I recall my history correctly, you know, we had some we had some conflicts happening at that point and also if, you know, someone's not not doing well in their military career and they want to escape Canada was a place where most people went right? And so you want to stay off the grid as much as possible. We didn't have the internet and all that stuff back then yet, but they would probably want to stay off the grid. And if, you know, the story to me, this story makes a ton of sense. Like if he was a military guy and someone that he ran into in a bar you know it's kind of the band of brothers situation right he runs into another guy in a bar that says hey brother we were military too you want to come stay at our house you know or we've got a place at least that you can bunk tonight um not expecting anything nefarious or terrible um but you know perhaps something else happened to tana you know there's a lot of suppositions you know when you're a a guy with a pretty gal on your arm that walks into a backwoods bar, it's probably just a bunch of other guys and you, and she's the only woman, you know, my mind can go in a lot of different directions about that. And if, um, you know, there's a couple of guys that, that say, Hey, you just want to come with us. You can go in our truck and, and, you know, we'll take you, uh, it would have been super easy to overpower them and kind of do whatever they wanted to do. And, I'm sure that they, you know, they could have wanted to rob them. They could have wanted to do something terrible with my cousin, Tana. They It could have been just for fun. Who the hell knows? Pe- people are very unpredictable, as we know. Um, um, but uh, it, it, to, to me, it, it makes more sense than them just moving somewhere. In Canada and living happily ever after, and never ever reaching out, calling, sending a letter, or anything to anybody, right? Um, because again, Mike was very close to his parents, and they maintain that they've never heard from him. And Tana was very close to all of the women in the family. Nobody ever heard anything, ever. So to me, it makes more sense than anything you know and, and I I've personally had a fair amount of of interesting experiences our family tends to see and feel things and hear things from the other side just depending on the family member um, and so I I don't disbelieve especially seeing the um way that this woman uh, Acted, reacted, apologized, the information that she had, again, I didn't know any of these people. It's the first time I've been to this place. And if some crazy thing happened, like somebody said I was coming to the Berkeley Psychic Institute. Somebody said this person had a missing cousin. Somebody said, you know, there would have had to have been so many things to line up for this to just be some, some thing that somebody was trying to do to punk me you know what i mean or try try to make none of that makes sense i i have to be open to the possibility the probability quite frankly that that's actually the truth of what happened um so that's kind of been that's kind of been the only way that you know and when i shared it with my mom and my mom and i had conversations about after the fact um you know she said that that just feels like it makes more sense than, than her just completely disappearing. That never made sense to anybody. Even if they would have gone AWOL, there would have been a letter or a postcard or something that said, I'm fine. Because even when she was with Muhammad and he was forbidding conversations and stuff, she would, um, do a call and hang up, or she would, she sent a postcard or something like I'm okay. So that, and that didn't happen. And we had no reason to believe that, you know, Mike would do anything nefarious or, or bad. So.
1: If by some miracle, Tana or Mike are alive and maybe even listening, like what would you want to say to them?
2: That it's okay and that we love them and there's um, never too much time that's passed. And uh, they could come bunk at my house in the Bay Area and we'd be happy to take care of things and help them to get whatever legal support they needed with the military or anything else to, to help as well, I'm sure his parents would. Um, we would do whatever we could to help them. And we just miss them terribly, just terribly. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of broken hearts over, over, uh, over her going and in, in hearing from his parents same because he he was an only child so
1: how can the public and people listening help you and and the family search for them like what can they do
2: oh gosh that's that's probably the hardest question you know because again i I um you know they would be welcome to reach out to me I don't want to open the floodgates I'm happy to you know provide my email address to you or you have my email address but you know if anybody thinks they um, I don't know if you, you know, typically post a picture or anything like that, but, uh, you know, again, age progression photos, anybody who would be able to do something like that off, to, off her senior picture, that would be great. Um, you know, support support your local missing and murdered indigenous women's project. Um, support people that, that say they're struggling with domestic abuse. Um, support the living. I'm not sure that there's anything we can do about the dead, and I'm Pretty darn sure that that's where things are at. But care for the people in your life that are struggling now, and if somebody appears like they're struggling, they probably are. And just you know, don't try to push them into a solution. Just try to be there and be a supportive, kind ear and shoulder when they do reach out for help. Um, because I'm I'm pretty sure with Tana, um, you know, originally when she went missing. Her mom was still married to her dad, and her dad had blamed her so profoundly for, you know, the marriage failing with Muhammad when the poor gal, she had broken nose, broken ribs, two broken eye sockets. He blamed her, her father blamed her for the marriage failing. And, um, you know, unfortunately, that is a narrative that is far too common in toxic households. Um, something that I've worked very hard to, you know, combat and volunteer with in my life. My daughters do the same, um, and my aunt, like I said, she finally got out of that. So um, can't. Oftentimes, we can't do anything to help or support the dead and what's already done. But if you can support the people around you that are living, that would be my biggest wish, and I'm sure that Tana would agree. <laughs>
1: Again, if you think you know anything about Natana or Mike's disappearance and you think you can help, please contact me and I'll put you in touch with Lori. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show appreciation, you can buy me a coffee at the link in the description. If you want to support the podcast on a monthly basis, you can head to the Patreon. For $5 a month, you get ad and sponsor free episodes, exclusive content, and early access to all new episodes of the podcast. If you don't want to spend any money, but you enjoy the podcast and want to support it, You can leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, you can find the Missing and Unexplained podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening to the Missing and Unexplained podcast.